Hello, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, welcoming you back to another classic replay here on Encounter God's Truth. We're going to revisit a two-part series on the conscience, which Dr. John Whitcomb brought to an assembly of Christian leaders several years ago. The messages are still as challenging as when he first delivered them, and we hope they'll be a blessing to you who hear these programs. Thank you for joining us for this special focus on the conscience. Every human being that's ever walked this earth has a God-created capacity to recognize what's right and wrong. So states Dr. John Whitcomb, our Bible teacher, as he instructs us regarding the importance of the conscience, beginning today on Encounter God's Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, welcoming you to the first half of a two-part message called Steering Clear of Shipwreck. Dr. Whitcomb brought this message to a group of church leaders basing his challenge on the exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. This message reminds us to examine ourselves and our own faithfulness to the Lord God in the spirit of the apostles who asked Jesus when he announced that one of them would betray him, Lord, is it I? As Dr. Whitcomb shares, this is not an easy message, but one that can help us stay focused on the path of service and blessing. We're going to survey a number of Bible passages from both the Old and New Testaments, so I invite you to pay careful attention and, if possible, follow along with us in Scripture. Of course, you can always go back and hear this lesson again at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. But right now, let's listen as Dr. Whitcomb presents part one of Steering Clear of Shipwreck. Good morning, friends. The topic that's been assigned to me is simply this. Theological issues that can sink our ship. Based, of course, on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 where Paul said to his favorite disciple, Timothy, fight the good fight, keeping, what? Faith and a good conscience. Watch those words. Faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Faith, good conscience. What does this mean? Well, friends, this has been one of the most difficult messages I've ever had to prepare because it has, first of all, convicted me of my need for more commitment to God's revealed truth in the only book he's ever written, the Bible. Now, amazingly, the word conscience isn't even mentioned once in the whole Old Testament. There are words that imply conscience. For example, 1 Samuel 24, 5, David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. He had not honored God's anointed king properly. His heart troubled him. Okay? Later on, he numbered the people in order to what, build up his pride and assurance that he had incomparable power and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people because of his motive in doing it. You remember the episode, I'm sure. Second Samuel 24. Well, friends, that's the way the human race through Adam and Eve brought us into the situation we now face. 
when Adam deliberately, intentionally, knowingly transgressed the clear, revealed word of his God. I mean, you can't imagine an easier test. God has to give people a choice because you can't love someone if you have no choice. We're not just robots. God said, here's your choice, Adam and Eve. Of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat except that one. Can you imagine an easier choice than that? All the trees, freely eat, but not that one. Guess what they did? They ate that one. And immediately, their conscience was staggered. They hid themselves. They were ashamed. They found trees. They were in terror. They were ashamed. Why? Because their conscience struck them. Okay? You know, Job says it this way. He's one of my Old Testament favorites. He said in chapter 27, My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. My heart. Because here again, in the Old Testament, the word heart includes the concept of conscience. Okay? Now, the prophet Ezekiel was sent by God to activate the conscience of the nation of Israel. They had become hardened through constant disobedience, disloyalty to God. In Ezekiel, in chapter 18, the soul that sins shall die. What is sin? What's the result of sin? What's the effect of sin? Repent, or you're going to Babylon. And they did. They went to Babylon. Now, friends, one of my all-time favorite passages, most convicting one, I think, is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was one of the greatest of the writing prophets of the Old Testament, a brilliant, godly man. But you know what happened to him when he saw the Lord one day? Which I'm sure we'll all face when we meet the Lord. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Well, he wasn't an, a notoriously bad person in Israel. We're sure of that. But any of us who see the Lord immediately see ourselves as totally depraved, deserving eternal judgment. I'm undone. His conscience was inflamed. Well, theologians point to one of the most prominent passages of the Old Testament that must refer to the conscience. Here it comes. Proverbs chapter 20 Verse 27, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. My, God is infinitely concerned about what's going on in our heart. Now, perhaps you'll be shocked to learn this too. The Lord Jesus, when he came, according to the record in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Never once used the word conscience, not once. But my, he certainly talked about the things that pertain to the conscience. Yes, he aimed at doing what? Awakening a tender conscience in men and focusing their attention on motives as well as their acts and deeds. He said it's one thing to murder a man, and this terrifies us, doesn't it? In the sight of God, is equally wicked to what? To hate a man. You don't have to murder anybody, just hate somebody. You don't have to lust, at, you don't have to perform immorality, just lust. Something is going on in a conscience inside of our heart and mind. 
In fact, he put an infinite standard before us. Unless your righteousness, he says, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. My, what do you have to have? An instructed, informed, illumined, active conscience in the presence of what? The revealed, written revelation of God. My, Lord, spare me. Here's another passage that I'm sure we'll agree refers to our conscience from the lips of Jesus. Matthew 23, blind Pharisee, said he, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. What's going on on the inside? Pharisees were concerned by what? Outer conformity to the revealed law of Moses, but the inner heart that was of infinite concern to God, they neglected, ignored, denied. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Now, friends, the Spirit of God, who is the ultimate author of the Bible, chose the Apostle Paul especially to deal with that idea of conscience. More than 20 times he talks about conscience, conscience, sunadesis in Greek. And a few statements by the author of Hebrews and three by the Apostle Peter. That's it. 29 times in the New Testament. Paul, Peter, the author of Hebrews. Now, Paul said, and this is a little shocking to me, he said, before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, I have lived in a good, all good conscience before God until this day. Wow. You know what that might include? Even before he was converted. He really was not informed about Jesus. But he did what he thought was right, namely kill people who worship Jesus that he thought was blasphemy. Now that's amazing. He was not properly informed, but he lived up to the conscience he did have, the information he did have from his youth. In fact, he says again in Acts 24, 16, I, have, I always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. This is before Felix and before the high priest Ananias. Now, in the great book of Romans, three times Paul talks about conscience. And I'd like you to turn to the first one, Romans 2. Please turn with me now. Romans chapter 2. This is an amazing statement about the conscience. Theologians struggle to understand the implications of this. All right. Romans 2, verse 15. Let's begin with verse 14. Thank you. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, the law of Moses do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law, now watch it, are a law to themselves. They have an inner law that God put there. Really? Now watch the next verse. Here's the big one. Verse 15. In that they show the, law, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. My. You mean every human being that's ever walked this earth has a God-created capacity to recognize what's right and wrong, to make moral choices? Trust me, folks, no animal that's ever lived or will live has a conscience, has a heart in the biblical sense of the term. 
And that's the awful reality of being a human being. To bear the image and likeness of God includes a conscience. And friends, the conscience, as we shall see, is not infallible. It has to be what? Illuminated, instructed, taught, trained. But it is very active and can almost destroy a person who acts in contradiction to his God-given conscience. My. Well, Paul says about himself in Romans 9.1, I tell the truth in Christ, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. My, what a statement. Let me say that again. Romans 9.1, I tell the truth in Christ, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. My conscience bearing witness to me. Something inside of us. Okay? Now Paul makes it very clear to the Corinthian church especially. Chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. That many people have a weak conscience. Their conscience being weak is defiled. 1 Corinthians 8.7 1 Corinthians 8.10 Will not the conscience in him who is weak be emboldened to eat? That is, things offered to idols. Okay. 1 Corinthians 8.12, when you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Even if a person's conscience is not properly illuminated, informed, instructed, and he has a weak conscience, don't you do anything to hurt that man's conscience because he is answerable to God for what he does with what he does know, you see. That's a very complex proportion of the New Testament. How to deal with people who have a weak conscience. 1 Corinthians 8. First Corinthians 10, three verse, ask no question for conscience sake. Don't ask, was this meat offered to an idol? In the sight of God, it doesn't make any difference if anybody offered the meat to an idol because there's no such thing as an idol. There's no other God but the one true God. So you don't have to worry about it. But other people are very, are very, what, sensitive to that issue. Be careful how you treat other people with their conscience. Now, friends, from a positive standpoint, Paul, Paul says over and over and over, I have a good conscience. I have a good conscience. I have a good conscience. L listen to 2 Corinthians 1.12. Our boasting is this. Do you do, you do this kind of thing? Do, do we boast about this? Listen. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Now, he's using that word boasting carefully. Because Paul makes it crystal clear that every good thing he has came from God by his grace. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4.2 Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I'm commending myself to everybody. How? In the sight of God to their conscience. 1 Timothy 1.5 The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. There's conscience and faith together again. And then the passage, of course, that we're dealing with today. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, 2 Timothy 1.3, and 1 Timothy 1.19. Fight the good of fight the faith, keeping faith and a good conscience. 1 Timothy 3.9, holding the mystery of the faith, with a pure conscience, a pure conscience. Now he wrote to the saints of Crete, where Titus was, his representative, 
his emissary. He said, to those who are unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. In fact, he said to Timothy, some people are speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Isn't that an amazing illustration? You can desensitize a person's conscience to the point where they're numb to evil. There are such people, it's hard to imagine this, who can, who can murder people with no evil conscience. I was a soldier in Germany in 1944 and 45, and guess who our enemy was? Adolf Hitler. If any man in the history of the world had a conscience seared with a hot iron, who had no feeling whatsoever about torturing and killing millions of people, it was Adolf Hitler. There have been many like him, of course. Stalin, Mao Zedong, the list goes on and on. People who have apparently no pang of conscience whatsoever in the way they treat others. My, especially with the help and blinding of Satan. Okay? Well, Paul had to say, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. You know, I'm stopping and saying, Lord, now help me to understand this. You created within me some kind of a monitor, some kind of a system that's hard to see, evaluate, imagine, explain, define, but it is very active and very important. Now, the, the book of Hebrews says it this way four different times in chapters 9, 10, and 13. The conscience was never cleansed by the offering of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's why they had to keep doing it year after year after year. The, the conscience was never dealt with, was never purified, cleansed, purged by the offering of animals. Well, why did they offer animals then? This is a difficult problem. It was an object lesson, a visual aid of the awful consequences of rushing into the presence of a thrice holy God without the shedding of blood. The blood did not take away their sin. What did it do? It protected them from immediate judgment so that they would have time to reflect on what they were doing and genuinely repent in their heart and believe God and be counted for righteousness like Abraham. It was a temporary visual aid to do what? To instruct the people of the awful consequences of rushing into the presence of God without the shedding of blood. My, that'll, that'll even continue in the thousand-year kingdom under Israel's jurisdiction, that kind of a program. Okay? Well, then what does cleanse the heart and the conscience? Are you ready for this? Hebrews 9.14, The blood of Christ cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Thank you, Lord. The blood of animals? No. The blood of Jesus? Yes. Behold the Lamb of God, said John the Baptist, that does what? Takes away, expiates, removes the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Okay? So Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Hebrews 13, we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. Now please turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. All right? 1 Peter chapter 3. This is one of my all-time favorite passages. How to really help people believe the Lord, believe God's precious word, the Bible. Let's begin, please, with verse 14. 
First Peter 3.14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, Peter says, you are blessed. You're not an object of pity. You're in a state of blessedness. Why? Now watch carefully. Do not fear their intimidation. These are millions of Christians are being persecuted to death today around the world in China and many countries. Even in India, as we shall hear later. Yes, how amazingly unique and rare is the American Christian who is hardly ever persecuted to death for his faith. But if you're persecuted, Paul, Peter says, don't fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but what? Now are you ready? But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart. Honor him. Surrender to him. Glorify him. Don't neglect him. Honor him. Because what are you going to do next? Listen. And you're going to do what? You're going to always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience. That's it. Watch it. Good conscience. So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's right. Your conscience is very important in a time of what? Persecution. We're going to say more about that in a, in a moment. Okay? And Peter ends by saying, Water baptism properly administered and properly experienced is an answer of a good conscience toward God. That is the New Testament material, friends, on conscience. I have found a number of different dictionaries, encyclopedias, commentaries that struggle with the meaning of this term. Let me just read what one theologian, Raymond Opperwall, has to say about it. I found this to be helpful. Are you ready? Sunodesis, conscience, is the self, this is amazing to me, is the self that knows with itself as an agent within the self, an alter ego, another, another person, another self within the self that observes the self and that testifies as to what it sees. How do you like that? <laughs> Here's another way he put it. Many instances show a keen grasp of the inner pain and damage that can be inflicted by the self upon the self by the moral disapproval of the conscience. If your conscience is properly instructed, illumined, you can suffer horrible pain if you transgress the conscience. Listen to this one. I, I have memories from childhood about this one. The conscience, like a nursery slave in the Roman Empire, slaves often took care of children, watched over the children. When I was a child, my parents were living in China for three years in the military. I was their only child. They had to travel a lot. They hired a Chinese woman to watch over me night and day. Her name was Pung. She was my ama, Pung Ama. She taught me to speak Mandarin fluently. She taught me basic principles of life in the absence of my parents. And, and, and so she, she was sort of a substitute parent. And I'm continuing the quote here. The conscience until alienated is seen as having a positive, protective purpose. It's advisable and possible to stand good terms with this inner voice. Now, he, ap he appeals to 1 Peter 3, which we read. He said, 1 Peter 3.16 shows that a clear conscience enables one to endure persecution 
Battles without can be handled if there is no battle going on within. As with Paul and the writer of Hebrews, Peter sees the clear conscience as being very important to the Christian life. One cannot defile the conscience without serious spiritual consequences. The Christian conscience, he says, is a lifelong process of being shaped by the Word of God in the fellowship of believers. Thank you, friends, for providing such encouragement to Norma and me through all these years. Someday, in the presence of Jesus, we'll realize how merciful and gracious He's been to us to encourage one another in the Word. And finally, this quote. Conversion understood as a conscious turning to faith in Christ and obedience to Him inescapably involves the conscience. Conversion involves the conscience. How? Are you ready? The conscience undergoes a change of authority focus. A conscience that has previously emphasized the standards of parents and social groups begins to witness to the will of Christ and to find its focus there. Well, we'll have to pause there and pick up this study steering clear of shipwreck when we meet together next week. In the meantime, visit us at WhitcombMinistries.org and make sure to stop by Facebook.com slash Ministries for all of our latest news. Whitcomb Ministries presents this Bible teaching broadcast to increase your confidence in the certainty that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. We're so blessed to have you listening today. And if you're encouraged by our ministry, please be sure to thank the station in which you're hearing the program. Now for Dr. John Whitcomb and everyone at Encounter God's Truth, I'm Wayne Shepherd, praying that God will help each of us apply the word that we've heard today. Thanks for joining us.